Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's Third and Central Podcast. Powered by the State of Louisville Podcast Network. Live from the burn. Here's your host. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Third and Central Podcast, the only podcast dedicated solely to University of Louisville baseball program. This is your host, Matt Sefcovic, joined by Aaron Turner. Aaron, before we jump into things, this has been a crazy, crazy college baseball season. If you look at the two national championship teams from the two years ago, Mississippi State, they are 5-10 and 10 in the SEC right now won the national championship two years ago. Then you've got Ole Miss, who won the national championship last year. They are 3-12 and 12 in the SEC. It just seems like the upsets are every time you turn the TV on. Weekend series are crazy right now. It's a fun time for college baseball. What do you make about all this? Man, there's nothing better. There's honestly nothing better than college baseball. I don't think that there's any sport that that rivals the the craziness and the roller coaster ride that is college baseball. I think the the biggest example of that right now is just look at Tennessee. Tennessee went started the season and second in the nation, and now they find themselves outside the top twenty five and. Following a really devastating midweek loss last night, their RPI dropped from 22 to 38. So their Tennessee right now is trending in the direction of being a bubble team. And I, I bring I, up Tennessee because they're we'll talk about them here a little bit later on in the show, just based on pairings for kind of projections right now. But where they have fallen, you know, Tony Vitello, the team that they thought he had this year down in Knoxville, everybody was like, this is the team to look out for and like you said they just continue to fall week after week and I think it's just another example of the parity that we have in college baseball and what makes college baseball so exciting I mean not that I ever root for a team to fail or anything but if if I was to pick a team to fail I you know I'm not exactly upset about Tennessee falling like they have that you know they play an exciting style of ball, but he's just not likable. There's there's nothing about him when I watch Tennessee play baseball that I'm like, I, I could root for this team. So I, I you know, deep inside, I enjoy it myself. <laughs> but enough of that. Let's go ahead and hop into what Louisville has been doing lately. Currently, they are 26 and 10 after the loss in Bloomington last night to Indiana. They're eight and seven in the ACC. RPI is hanging right around 25 currently. Strength of schedule has taken a huge jump recently. It's catapulted up to 45, and I think that number is going to continue to soar as the uh, season winds down. Just a couple weeks ago, it was in the 70s and 80s, so it it has really taken a big jump. As far as ACC standings right now, you've really got Wake Forest in the top of the Atlantic Division at 14-3. and And as Booger McFarland would say, and then after that, you got a bunch of dudes. You know, you've, you've got Louisville, you've got Boston College, NC State, and Notre Dame. All four of those teams have eight or nine wins. So, you know, that, that 
there's just a big mix of those four teams. Louisville happens to be second in the division just because they're eight and seven, where NC State, they've got eight wins. Notre Dame has eight wins, but they have losing records. So a lot of baseball left to play out. So that's going to change. But the Atlantic division, it is just kind of a mess right now after you get after Wake Forest. Yeah, uh, kudos to the Wake Forest. I, I, myself included, I didn't really see this happening this year. You know that that lineup one through nine dangerous. Their their weekend rotation is phenomenal to say the least. I also want to you know give a shout out to Boston College too. You know they came out of nowhere, found themselves in the top ten when we played them. I think I believe we knocked them out of, out of the top ten, but. You know, that just goes to show, you know, the kind of gauntlet that the ACC is. Everybody around college baseball knows what the SEC schedule looks like and how crazy that is. But, you know, when you look to the ACC, I think the ACC rival or ACC baseball could rival what the SEC has going on. And I think a lot of the teams and touching on Boston College the transfer portal has really helped a lot of schools like that. You know, they can kind of cherry pick from maybe the mid-majors, you know, get a all-conference pitcher from a mid-major and give them an opportunity on the big stage to, you know, prove themselves against higher quality bats to improve their draft stock. So they, they have a lot of that to offer. And typically Boston College has a lot of playing time and a lot of innings that they can offer to transfer. So I think their, uh, Mike Gambino has really utilized the portal well, and I think it shows this year they did get uh, run ruled by Connecticut, but uh, in a midweek this week. But other than that, you know, Boston College, they have come out of nowhere. And a special shout out to Boston College as well for picking up that second camera angle at, at their home games. And I, I'm so glad we didn't play up there this year. But the fact that I watched a game the other day and I saw like multiple camera angles, I was like, wow, this is actually enjoyable. I can I can watch Louisville play next time they go to Boston College because last year when they played up there, I had to turn the game off because you got a view of the pitcher, the catcher, shortstop, second baseman, and center field, and that was about it. You know, you, you couldn't see down the lines anywhere if it, where the ball was hit, if it was caught in the outfield, if it wasn't caught in the outfield. It was one of the most miserable experiences watching a baseball game I've ever been through. I know, I know that's a passion that you and I share, and we, we've talked about that <laughs> quite a bit. So I, I'm glad that we finally – move on from that and find something else to gripe about <laughs> the only worst the only one worse that i've ever seen is we played down in bowling green last year against western and the game the only way you could watch the game was on facebook live through the conference usa and it was it may be worse than what boston college used to provide uh, but I, I don't know if they're still doing that i don't know but anyhow we'll go ahead and move on to where louisville stands right now they're kind of sitting stationary in the polls, NCBWA, National College Baseball Writers Association, has them highest in the country at number nine. Collegiate Baseball Newspaper, the Coaches Poll, and Perfect Game, all three have them ranked 10th. D1 Baseball, who I typically prefer to use, has them ranked 12th, and Baseball America has them ranked 13th. I thought after the Wake Forest loss, and we'll dive into that here in a little bit, I thought after the Wake Forest loss, the pollsters were pretty reasonable. You know, most Louisville dropped two, maybe three spots in most of the polls. They actually moved up in one poll after losing the series to Wake Forest. So I, I thought they got a pretty favorable break. You know, playing Wake Forest, number two team in the country, I think right now is the best team in the country. They really didn't get penalized for it. I was I was glad to see that they went that direction. Yeah, you're definitely right. They were, I think that the, the pollers were very generous. And I think a part of that too is like we touched on a little bit ago about 
how strong all of college baseball is and anybody can beat anybody on any given day. Pretty much everybody in the top 25, you're going to get, they're going to get a run for their money week in and week out. And there are a lot of teams that take a lot of losses. I, I think that all evens out eventually. Yeah. And, you know, Louisville was able to salvage the game on Sunday and one, win one game in that series. So that, I think that definitely helped rather than getting swept. But as of right now, D1 baseball has Louisville as a number two seed in Indiana's regional. So they've got Indiana actually hosting a regional this year, which that's not going to happen. Um, Louisville's the two seed. Tennessee is the three seed. And Kent State is the four seed. So that's where Louisville sits. Um, like I said, we talked about Tennessee a minute ago. So Louisville and Tennessee would match up against each other in the first round. And as bad as Tennessee has been at times this year, that's not a team I want to play in the first round of the NCAA tournament. I'll get your thoughts on that here in just a second, because Baseball America is almost identical to D1. They have Indiana as the one seed. They have Central Michigan as the four. And then they have Louisville and Tennessee as the two and three again. So outside of the four seed, they have the same one, two, and three. So I guess what, what are your thoughts on playing Tennessee? Because, you know, we, we talked about them, how they've fallen, haven't had the best year. You had a couple injuries. Still, I don't think that's a team I want to see the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. Um, first, I want to say that in a hypothetical situation where IU would host, I would put my money on anybody in those regionals except for Indiana. Mm-hmm. I I don't see that happening. They've had a good season this year, but I don't see them hosting. Um, but yeah, playing Tennessee in that that first round is a very interesting draw that I don't think anybody saw happening at the beginning of the year, especially Tennessee at a three seed. Uh, I think, like I said earlier, I think Tennessee is trending in, in that direction of a bubble team. I think they better figure it out quick because I think that it is a real possibility that they could see themselves on the outside looking in on selection day. Well, you have to, if you look at their schedule too, they've got Vanderbilt this weekend. They still have Kentucky and they have South Carolina. So they've got three of the hardest series left on their schedule. And like you said, they're ranked down in the 40th in RPI. So not a team I want to see across the bracket, but at the same time, Indiana's trending towards a team that may not even make the tournament if they keep this up. Yeah, it's Tennessee is going to need a strong, strong showing down in Hoover in the SEC tournament if they want to get anywhere close to where their expectations are, where they want to be. So enough of where we are now. Let's talk about kind of how we got there. Like you said, Aaron, you mentioned Boston College a little bit ago and how they kind of propelled into the top 10. Big time matchup for Louisville. Got to host Boston College at home, heck of a series. Louisville obviously swept them, but kind of walk us through what happened and kind of how, how that series played out. Yeah, so like you said earlier, BC kind of came out of nowhere, kind of worked that transfer portal and found themselves in the top 10. And they've been playing some really good baseball. I think that's an interesting roster. You know, nobody really sticks out. You know, none, none of the stats are really eye-popping, but that's a team that just fires on all cylinders and when they're when they're on they're on and so they were on coming to that easter weekend matchup with louisville uh thursday night started off strong with a 6-4 win uh eight strong innings from ryan hawks doing what he does that i think that was a start that was very much needed for ryan too might have been searching for a little bit after that nc state series and so for him to be able to bounce back and fire eight score or sorry eight 
believe he gave up that one run in the first, but so, after that he was he was lights out and he looked dominant and that was a fun start to watch from from Hawks there. Uh, offensive side, just a balanced offensive attack. All all nine guys in the lineup did their thing. Everybody had a hit. Uh, Anderson, Forbes, King, and Beard all had multiple hits, and uh, you know just. Things got a little bit interesting in the ninth inning. BC ended up putting up three, and Keener eventually shut it down. I believe the tying run was on base, and things got a little bit sloppy, but Tate came in and, and did his thing and, and shut it down, and we took game one of the series. Uh, and Then that leads us to Friday. Friday was a game like I had never seen before. BC jumped out to an 8 nothing lead uh, after two innings, and that was a game that we eventually came back and won 9-8. Uh, so Jack Payton, uh, you know, doing what every team captain should do and, and got his boys going. He had a, a solo shot in the third inning. So Jack Payton got things rolling in the third inning for the offense, hit his team leading eighth home run of the season, and then timely hitting from everybody else in the lineup. Uh, saw the Cardinals regain the lead, and we regained it pretty fast, put up nine runs over three innings, and by the fifth inning had that lead, and we never looked back. Uh, I was really impressed with Riley Phillips in that game as well, came out of the pen and – really shut down that Eagles lineup that was firing on all cylinders prior to then. Uh, he went four innings, uh, like I said, shut him down and finished off the win. He went, he finished out the game, picked up his fourth win of the season. And I think after that, I think uh, Boston College was pretty much dead. It's really hard to to lose a game like that and come back out on, on that third game and, and be able to compete. And fortunately for us, we had Carson Liggett going. Uh, Liggett has been lights out all season. Saturday was a four to two win uh, that finished off the top 10 sweep. Carson Liggett threw a career high 102 pitches over seven strong innings. And I think it's been, uh, it's been really fun to watch the progression of Carson Liggett. And I, you know, I have to give credit to you on this. I think at the beginning of the season, you mentioned how much you really liked Carson and, you know, the potential that, that you saw in him. I think you even said that. You know, by the end of the season, he's probably your Friday night guy. And while I don't think there's going to be any changes, I think that there's no doubt that he is the the ace of the staff right now. And so to watch his career progress and next year where he will certainly be the Friday night guy, it looks like uh, I'm I'm super happy for for Carson. And I'm really glad that we're able to to have, you know, this is no shot at, at anybody else. But I think that we have a true ace in, in the form of Carson Liggett. Yeah, I think what he is doing this year, has been incredible. And I know we've talked about this before and coach McDonald talk, has talked about this for gosh, over a decade since he's been here is that Louisville's had a lot of success during his tenure due to their ability to win Sunday baseball games, or in this case, Saturday, the third game of the series. And that's what Leggett did, you know, right now on the season, he's seven and zero with a 166 ERA. And if it wasn't for Wake Forest's entire starting rotation, um, he would probably be looked at as one of, you know, the best pitchers in the ACC, which he is. But when, you, when you've got some of the guys at Wake Forest doing what they're doing, um, it, it kind of overshadows Carson. But I think he's, he's probably okay with that because if you look at his numbers, um, he is – every week he comes out, he just continues to impress. And we'll talk about him a little bit this week at uh, what he did against Wake Forest as well. But – having a guy like that as an anchor um, going into the NCAA tournament, when, when we get to that point as your, you, you, like you said, your third option, that's strong. I mean, teams don't have a guy like Carson Liggett to roll out there on a Sunday afternoon. It, you just don't see that. So I think the fact that Louisville has 
that going for them and have Carson Liggett in their corner. I don't think they're ever going to be out of a series if it's a rubber game. But, you know, if they lose the first two, they, he can't control that. But if you've got Carson going Sunday, there's not going to be a better Sunday pitcher in the ACC, in my opinion. I 100% agree with that. And, you know, me being the draft junkie that I am, I'm always going to be looking ahead at I really do believe that's that's a potential first round guy next year, and that it's it's crazy too to watch him and progress because, in the grand scheme of things, I don't think that any of his stuff is overwhelming. But that is just a guy that knows how to pitch, and so to see him put it all together this year is it's been really fun to watch. And he's super efficient. You know, he's thrown or struck out forty three batters this year, walked seventeen. You know, he's a guy that he just gets on the mound and he works quick. He's like Ryan Hawks on Friday night. You know, he's not a guy that's going to walk around the mound and take his time. He gets the ball back and he gets the ball back to the catcher. I mean, he's he works fast and just he pounds the strikes out. And that's all you can ask for out of a, um, a starter, especially a Sunday guy. So we'll jump into the Wake Forest series, which Louisville lost two to one. And kind of what you talked about with Boston College, you know, they don't have any guys that really pop off the paper at you or any, you know, crazy stats. That's a complete opposite you have with Wake Forest. I mean, there are three guys that start on the on mound the weekend. You've got Rhett Lauder. He's 6-0 and with a 184 ERA, probably a top 10, 15 pick in the draft this year. Likely the best college arm in the draft. You've got Sean Sullivan. He's their Sunday guy. He's 5-1 with a 156 ERA. And then Josh Hartle, 6-1 and with a 194. So, when you've got your, you know, weekend rotation, let's see, what are they, 17-2 this year? I mean, it, it's it's tough to beat. I think that that shows you why they are 14-3 and three in the ACC right now. But anyway, so Louisville lost the series 2-1. to one. They got beat on Friday and Saturday. Were able to fight back and salvage the game on Sunday. Um, but they, they lost the first game of the series 11-5. to five. Um, They were only able to. Uh, get six hits, all singles, no extra base hits on that game um, at the plate, struck out nine times, and were only able to draw one walk, which that's important. We'll talk about that here in just a few minutes. Um, Hawks, he got beat up a little bit, um, three innings, he gave up five runs, um, and Wake Forest hit five home runs in that game. Louisville took a bit of an early lead, and then Wake Forest hit uh, three of the home runs were back-to-back-to-back. Um, so the lead just kind of quickly went away, but that's what that offense does. I mean, they just one through nine, they are hitters. Um, they pound the ball. They don't get cheated on anything when they step in the box. So, I mean, these dudes are going to go a long way and I, I hope they make a trip to Omaha. Saturday was Rhett Louder day. Uh, so they actually threw their ace on Saturday. Louisville got beat three to nothing. It was three to nothing, but with him on the mound, it seemed like it was 10 or 15 to nothing. I mean, it, it just, and that's just him. That's nothing against the Louisville batters at all. That's that's a testament to how good Lauder is. He just doesn't – you just don't barrel anything up on that guy. He threw seven innings, um, five hits, and nine strikeouts. Wake Forest hit two more home runs. Um, on, the, on the day, they struck out 12 batters, and they didn't walk a single Louisville batter. So um, just impressive stuff from the Wake Forest staff. Riley Phillips, he moved back to the weekend rotation after his performance against Boston College, the performance out of the bullpen that Aaron just talked about a couple minutes ago. He gave up three the three runs. Uh, then the bullpen took over Caden Campbell, Greg Frone, and Caleb Corbett. 
they threw the final 4.2 innings and didn't give up a single run. So, yes, Louisville got beat 3 nothing, but the fact that the bullpen came in and kind of salvaged the game and gave the bats an opportunity to wake up, that's big time. You know, against a lineup like Wake Forest, it's good to see that. And then Sunday, like I said, Louisville salvaged a series one seven to two. <clears throat> they were down two nothing in the sixth inning, and then JT Benson hit a three run blast um, in the left center field into the berm. Um, Louisville ended up scoring five runs in that inning. Two more by the way of bases loaded, uh, hit by pitch. So it was a good measuring stick. You know, anytime you get to play a team like Wake Forest, like I said, I think is the best team in the country with the pitching staff and the hitting that they've got. It's good to see where you stand up against a team like that. Like I said earlier, Louisville batters struck out 26 times over the weekend and only drew four walks. So, again, that's a testament to the Wake Forest pitching staff. So, you know, we may see these guys again in the ACC tournament. Would love to play them again because, it, uh, you know, if, if this is a team you can knock off, it's a huge, huge resume booster. Um, but this is a team that I really think has a chance to get to Omaha, and I, th- I think they can win the whole thing this year. Yeah, it's like you said that that weekend against Wake Forest. That, that's just a testament to how good how good that team is. And one through nine in their lineup, and Friday through Sunday in their rotation. It's just a bunch of dudes, and there's not really much more I, I can add to that. And you know what you said that's that's just a great team. And if if I was a betting man and I could was going to bet on anybody besides Louisville to make a run, it'd be Wake Forest to to win a national championship this year. That is a as, as a loaded team that is firing on all cylinders every single weekend. And a lot of people talk about LSU and they're loaded too. They've got, they've got bats all through that lineup with Dylan Cruz and Tommy White and the mound is ridiculous, but they've got a couple of injuries right now. And depending on how they bounce back and how that bullpen looks come the end of the season, I think I give the nod to Wake Forest right now, but there's a lot of baseball left. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, and so, like you said, a lot of baseball left. That leads us to the midweek game against Indiana, just played yesterday. Uh, took a trip up to Bloomington for this game, and it was a little underwhelming, uninspiring maybe. I don't know. The uh, it, It's kind of a tough blow when you see guys like Napchik, Peyton, and Keelan all out of the lineup due to injury. Uh, eventually, well, it was a 7-3 to three loss, which doesn't sound terrible. It just... It felt like we had no life all night. Uh, so last night was Evan Webster, who started strong, uh, first career start. Ran into some trouble in the third inning, though, and then eventually gave way to Caleb Corbett, who unfortunately could not record an out. And that fifth inning was – or sorry, that third inning was eventually was a five-run third inning for the Hoosiers, and they never looked back. One bright spot of the game was Veerling, who unloaded his first career home run, and I don't think that ball has landed yet. That was that, that absolutely, ball was absolutely shot. nuked. Yeah, that that was that was fun. Um, fortunately, though, behind the plate, Veerling did not have as good of a game, but you know we'll fo- we'll focus on that home run. And that that was that was a fun one to watch. Koger, Forbes, and Galvan turned in scoreless innings on the mound, and I think I think that was really great to see especially from Forbes who has struggled at times on the mound uh both Forbes and Biven came in as two-way guys and up until this point Forbes has gotten more chances with the bat and Biven on the mound and I think we might see Patrick Forbes with some more run on the mound as as the season 
comes to an end and we get into the playoffs, I think Patrick Forbes might be a key, a key guy that we turn to on the mound. And so for him to turn in a scoreless outing on the mound, that was that was really encouraging to see. And then also Noah Smith had a really nice game at the plate. And I want, pointed that out too because I, I don't think we know the severity of any of the injuries. Like I said, Napchik, Peyton, and Keelan are all out. If this weekend you see Keelan or Napchik out some more, Noah Smith would be that guy. Unfortunately, Dan McDonald has become really, really good at not being not disclosing any injuries. You, you can't get anything past that guy. He does he doesn't say anything about injuries. So we don't really know what the situation is with Keelan and, and Napchik. But if, if Noah Smith can step up and swing the bat well this weekend, uh, that would be a huge addition to the lineup. Yeah, I think one thing you hit on was Patrick Forbes and his his role increasing likely as the season winds down, you know, that you can't ever have enough arms in college baseball, especially the way the tournament is set up once you get to that point. That and that being the conference tournament and NCAA tournament. You, you just you just can't have enough arms. And you you pitch day after day after day, sometimes a couple times a day if you get to that point. And the way Forbes has responded and has continued to grow you know he gave up a couple of runs against boston college but that's the only outing that he has actually given up a run and he's thrown seven different times this year so i think forbes is going to be a arm that we can rely on especially as he continues to grow in his career in the next couple of years but you know this year he's going to be a guy i don't think you're going to get more than a couple of innings out of him at this point in time but he's a, i mean he's he's shown that he's serviceable and he can pitch against you know, some of the better teams out there. So I think the fact that they have the confidence to put him out there and he's responding, I think shows that Forbes is just going to be another another option. And to touch on that ball that we were, Will Veerling hit, as soon as he hit it, Aaron and I were both texting each other at the exact same time because that ball was absolutely pissed out of that stadium. Yeah, that was I, – I was fortunate enough to be at that game. The entire stadium just went silent. There were a lot of rowdy Indiana fans, and as soon as that ball hit that bat, entire stadium was silent. So he he shut up those Hoosiers for a couple innings, but unfortunately they didn't stay that way. But, you know, it, it was awesome to see. I, I think that was the bat that we all anticipated out of Veerling, and he's just going to continue to get better the more reps that he gets. And, you know, playing behind Jack Payton, you're not going to see those every day at bats, but just looking ahead to next year, he very well could be your guy. And so just to see in a, in a bat like that and see that that grown man strength was was fun to watch. Well, really coming into Louisville, a lot of guys said, you know, recruiting sites tabbed him as the best left handed hitter in the Midwest. So, you know, the fact that we're we're getting to see some of that right now, that's big time. And I, I think, like you said, just as his role increases over the next couple of years, we're going to I think we're going to see more of that that we haven't had an opportunity to see so far since he's you know, at-bats have been limited during his freshman season. So enough about where we have been since Louisville is one in three over their last four games. We're trying to turn the page and get back on the right track. So this weekend, Louisville heads down to Durham to play three with Duke. Duke currently is 24 and 12. They're nine and eight in the ACC, have a 30 RPI. So three big opportunities to pick up some more big-time wins that they need to continue padding their resume. Duke's not ranked, but they're 8-2 and two in their last 10. I think if, if Duke can somehow 
sneak away with a win against Louisville and win this series, you're going to see Duke rank next week. They're also 17 and eight at home. So they've got a pretty strong home record. So, you know, Louisville's, you know, they're, they're going into a pretty, pretty tough place to play. They won two of the three last weekend against Boston college. And then the weekend before that, they split one and one with Virginia tech. The third game of the series was canceled. So they only played against two. So, if you look at their team numbers, they're actually very, very similar to Louisville. They bat 287 as a team. Louisville's batting 292 as a team, so pretty much identical. ERAs are 334, and Louisville currently sits at 391. So pretty similar team stats. Chris Pollard, the coach at Duke, always has a really tough team. They're super gritty. They, they're going to fight till the last at-bat. And Aaron touched on it earlier. That's something Louisville has struggled with was closing teams out. You know, they lost the game at NC State a couple weekends ago. They gave up a handful of runs in the bottom of the ninth down there. And then against Boston College, tried to let the game slip away in the ninth inning, giving up a couple of runs. So, you know, they're, they're going to have to battle to the end because any Chris Pollard team, that, that's just how they play. They're tough. They're tough as nails. And I think they're going to – Louisville's going to get – you know, all they can handle this weekend against Duke. So also Jack Payton, Napchik, and Gavin Keelan, you know, are we going to see them? If we do see them, what capacity are they going to play? So I'm secretly hoping that they didn't play against Indiana this week um, as a rest and a energy conservation type thing so they can play this weekend against Duke because that's more important. But at this point in time, like you said, we, we don't know anything at all. I think you touched on it a little bit. Just it always seems like we have some fits with every Duke team that we we ever play. Just a scrappy group of guys that always manages to squeak out a couple wins against us. It feels like so. It's gonna be gonna be a very tough weekend and a tough environment too down in uh down down at Duke. So it's gonna be a good one. You know, Duke, like you said, not ranked, but this is still a huge resume booster. And when it comes time for that in a few weeks. You know, Duke is always a team that is they're good, but they're never great. And they can always beat you. You know, I, I don't feel like they're ever like out of any series. You you never look at the schedule and be like, oh, we're you know that's that series we're we're gonna win. We're gonna walk all over them. That's not gonna happen. Um, you know they they've got a tough team and then after that we head up to lexington and take on kentucky that's going to be the first matchup between the cards and cats this year because the first meeting was canceled a couple weeks ago and they're working on a possible makeup date to reschedule that if we've if you looked at the schedule the only week that really makes any sense is the it's may 2nd it's a tuesday Louisville is currently scheduled to play Bellarmine that day. But since we played Bellarmine the week of the shooting a couple of weeks ago as the kind of the kickoff, the heroes week, I don't know if Dan would cancel that game with Bellarmine and then pick up the second game with Kentucky since we already played the game with Bellarmine. So I don't know. But other than that, I'm not sure where they would fit it in. Louisville, Louisville plays Bellarmine that night. Kentucky does not have a game that week at all. It's in between their series, I believe, with Vandy and South Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. So that would be a gauntlet of a schedule. <laughs> you play Vandy on a weekend, Louisville during the week, and then South Carolina on the weekend. But if there's going to be a makeup, I think that would be the week it would be played because I don't think Dan or uh, Nick Mangione at Kentucky would want to add a second game, a second midweek game any week throughout the 
last the rest of the season. So I don't see that happening. But either way, we do play Kentucky on Tuesday night at Kentucky Proud Park in Lexington. Kentucky has just come out of nowhere. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to explain what is happening with them this year. They're 29 and seven. They're 10 and five in conference. They are the number one team in RPI. They've been sitting at the top for a long time. Now, Aaron and I have talked about this. They've got Vandy. They've got South Carolina. They've got Tennessee. And they've got Florida to end the series in the season. So how that's going to shake out, I don't know. But either way, when Louisville plays Kentucky on Tuesday night, they're going to be a, you know, at worst, probably a top five RPI team. So it's it's a heck of a resume builder if they can sneak away in Lexington with a win. Yeah, I think we've uh, we've talked about this quite a bit and we've discussed how there's probably Coming into the season, they were a trio of SEC coaches that were on the hot seat. Mengione's seat was probably the hottest. And at this point in time, it probably appears that he has saved his job for at least another year. So hats off to him. He's put together a good team this year, as much as I hate to say it. But that that is a very good squad that, that they put together in Lexington. And I don't think they've lost a midweek game yet this year. So it would be a good opportunity next Tuesday night for that to change. Yes. I'm a-okay with that. And for those that are wondering how this kind of came about, because Kentucky's been pretty bad under Mingione, he really – it's all transfer portal. They've got all new faces up and down that roster. These aren't guys that he's had in there and coached up over the years. The transfer portal works, period. Is it going to work every year? No. But if you can get a couple pieces, you know, to plug in with what you've got and the recruiting classes you put together – their, their transfer portal, it works. They've shown that it works. Other programs have shown that it works. So it's something I wish that Louisville could get involved in maybe this offseason because I think you've seen, you know, not that there's guys like Tommy White all over the country, but, you know, if you've got guys like that in the portal, you know, why not give them a shot? Um, but anyhow, that's a, that's a discussion for another night. So, one other thing I want to touch on, Aaron, before you take over and talk about the Cards and the Pros update, because that's, that, I know that's your favorite part of the podcast, um, is some new recruiting rules that Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball dropped this bombshell last week. So recruiting rules for college baseball are completely changing from what we know recruiting to be. So it, basically up until this point, and until April 26th, college baseball recruiting is just like the wild, wild west. As far as when you can contact players, at what age, when you can offer players, so on and so forth. So that's changing. Basically, it's going to line up with what college softball has. So you cannot have any contact to or from a recruit until August 1st of their junior season. Right now, we've got kids that are eighth grade, ninth grade committing to play college baseball. They've never played a, they've never swung a single bat in a varsity game, and they're committing to, you know, high profile D1 programs. There's no off campus contact until September 1st of their junior year. Um, so players can go to camp. That was a big question. Players can camp at schools. They just, before that, before those dates, so if you're a freshman or sophomore, you can still camp at a Louisville camp. You just um, cannot receive an offer. You cannot do any off-campus visits. 
Um, this is going to change a lot. You know, Louisville right now, I look through, they have about 33 commits that if this rule were in effect, they would have never even been allowed to talk to you yet, which is insane. So I think the outside of the sticker shock of this it changing, which it, it needed to, there, there had to be something done because it was just crazy with these eighth graders committing. But I mean, you've got a program like Louisville that has 19 commitments in 2025. So the class is almost full. Those kids currently could cannot talk to their coaches. So after April 26th, they cannot talk to the team that they're committed to until the junior first or August 1st of their junior year. We're not going to see Louisville land any commitments for a couple of years. It could be, you know, high school commits because their classes are so far, they're, they're done years in advance that we may not see Louisville have any commits for a couple of years. You know, working in, the, in this part of the business too, I've, I've seen a lot of of things that really made me shake my head. And I'm with you that something definitely needed to change. I'm not sure that this was the answer. In my opinion, I feel like this was very drastic and setting a, a date, a cutoff of, of April 26th feels very rushed and very sudden, um, you know, cause you, you have all these commits who can no longer talk to their college coaches and so I'm sure that the coaching staffs at college baseball have been scrambling to get all get plans worked out for all their guys to make sure that you know all all their workload plans and uh, you know moving forward for the next year or two because after April 26th, you know that that's it. You may be committed, but you can't talk to your coach anymore. So I, I'm with you. I think something definitely needed to change because. Personally, I've never been a fan of, of middle schoolers being able to commit to power five baseball schools. It just didn't make sense to me, but I'm not sure that this was the answer. I'm glad that something's being done, but well, I, I guess we'll see in the long run how, how this works out. And I think you and I have talked about this too, about how do you police it? You know, there's no way to really enforce players talking to coaches and like you said they can go to camp still and talk to coaches there so what does the ncaa decide to crack down on and what do they let slide i think that's going to be the toughest thing and i've talked to a couple of recruits and a couple you know families that of recruits and things like that and they don't seem to be a fan of it either just because you know when you turn over to your junior year at that point in your career, like it, it's hard to build relationships that quick. You know, they, you know, these players and coaches and families, you know, they build relationships for years. And when you limit it to the beginning of your junior year, it's tough. I know every other sport does it. So it, it, it's going to be manageable there and they're just going to figure it out. It's just going to be the new way of doing business. But like you said, I think it's rushed. I think there could have been some type of tier system. That way you've got the players that are committed and have been committed and have been developing relationships with their coaches for a couple of years now, you know, at least let them get through the process and don't just say, okay, as of next week, you can no longer talk to the, the program that you're committed to. And Oh, by the way, you can't talk to them for two more years. That's a long time, you know, and one of the parents that I talked to said, what if once we get to that point, the college says, yeah, you know, we don't want you anymore. We're not going to honor our offer. And then they're starting over. So I, I think, uh, but like you said, how's the NCAA going to police this? 
it, it's it's too widespread. I, I don't know they do, but anyways, just to just to kind of throw that out there, those are the new rules that go into effect on August 26th. So, you know, there's less than a week left before this stuff happens. I'm gonna change gears a little bit here and close out the episode with my, like you said, my favorite part of the episode. It's time for some cars, cards in the pros talk. Haven't had this yet since the minor league season started, and there's been a lot of things that have been going on. Uh, if you followed the alumni account, you've seen that uh, something's been going on with Nick Solak. He's uh, he's had four different organizations in the last 20 days. Fortunately for Nick, he's kind of found himself in DFA limbo. Uh, right out of spring training, uh, DFA'd by the Reds, picked up by the Mariners, played a little bit with Seattle, and then DFA'd, went to Chicago, uh, White Sox, did not even play a game in the White Sox organization before he was once again DFA'd, and hopefully finally now has a landing spot in Atlanta. He actually has finally gotten in, into a game, played his first game tonight with AAA Gwinnett of the Atlanta Braves and hit a home run for his first uh, hit in the Braves organization. So fingers crossed that Nick is able to stay in Atlanta. And I'm sure that, that him and his family are tired of tired of all the moving around. So hopefully he's found himself a home there. Uh, another guy that's found himself a new home, Drew Ellis, has signed with the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, Drew was released by Seattle about a month ago. Uh, recently signed on with the Phillies. So glad that he's back in affiliated baseball again. He'll be up to AAA within the next week or two. The major league level, got Will Smith and Adam Duvall both on the IL right now. Will Smith with a concussion. Adam Duvall has a broken wrist. Unfortunately, the same wrist that's been nagging him before. Uh, no timetable on Duvall's return. Hopefully he can have a speedy recovery and, and get back within the next month or so. Uh, then looking ahead just to a minor league level, just a couple notes here. Uh, a few guys have had really strong starts to their season. Uh, Logan Wyatt leads all minor league Cardinals in home runs. He's up to three already after hitting three in, in, uh, in the span of three games. Uh, Jake Snyder, who's back in affiliated ball after a, a stint in uh, independent ball, is leading all pro Cardinals in batting average. He's getting regular starts at single a Fresno for the Colorado Rockies organization. And he's hitting a blistering 448. This is a guy that just keeps getting on base and has been a problem for all pitchers in the, in the California league. And then I want to touch on Dalton rushing too, real quick. He's been lighting it up in the Midwest league and he's going to be a quick riser for the Dodgers. I think everybody kind of knew this when he got drafted last year. Uh, just recently within the last week, he's made he's made his way into the top 100 prospects list in Major League Baseball, as well as top 10 catching prospect list. So you will see Dalton rushing up in the big leagues sooner rather than later. Dude just continues to hit the ball and hit the ball hard. Uh, right now, he's got a batting average of 333, which is same old Dalton that we saw last year after he got drafted and shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. And I think the Dodgers got themselves a steal last year when they got him at 40 overall. I do want to say one thing since we're, you just talked about Will Smith a little bit ago. I watched the game last night where Clayton Kershaw picked up his 200th career win and they were talking on the broadcast about, you know, Smith's injury. And I, I just hated it for him that he had to miss, you know, that, that moment with Kershaw on the mound picking up his 200th win. It was just, it was really neat. Kershaw dominated. I think he threw seven innings, gave up just three or four hits. And I just think it would be cool, you know, for Will Smith 
to be the guy that got to catch, you know, Kershaw's 200th win. So um, hated to see that, but um, hopefully Smith will be back on the field in no time at all. So that's all we've got for the episode tonight. Uh, thank you all for joining us. We appreciate every one of you. Aaron, uh, I know you are on the grind lately with stuff on State of the Louisville and trying to keep up with your Louisville baseball alumni account, which right now is just, I don't know how you keep up. You're going to get tw- put in Twitter jail for putting out too many tweets if you don't watch it. Uh, so <laughs> tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at AJTurn22, or you can follow the follow the Louisville Baseball Alumni Report, and you can find my written work on the state of Louisville. And you can find me on Twitter at Matt Sefkovic, and you can find my written work on Card Chronicle. So in the words of Sean Moth, we will see you at the ballpark. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.